And and um, and I think we're so quick in our culture. People are like, oh, can you pray for me? And you're like, yeah, sure. You know. And then how many of us actually do? You know. And and so I think that setting aside time and place to really enter into the issues and to really enter into intercession and to allow it to touch our heart is a way that we can grow in intercession. And, and I guess the question for us then is how willing am I to sacrificially lay aside my schedule and to labor in prayer and to battle on behalf of others? Hello and welcome to the Follower Podcast. A place for honest conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and to the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I'm so glad you're here for this episode. Here we are in uh, the second episode in our three-part prayer series on the Follower Podcast. I hope you found last week helpful as Liam led us through an introduction to contemplative prayer and some brief thoughts on Lectio Divina and meditative prayer or centering prayer and imaginative prayer. And this week we have Jill Weber, uh, who is a friend of the podcast. She's been on the podcast before, a friend of follower, a friend of mine, uh, serves with 24-7 prayer in so many different ways that it would be its own podcast to talk about. But more than that, has just become, uh, yeah, just a, a real friend. And, and I think what I really appreciate about Jill, she's going to be speaking to us about intercession Uh, She's a practitioner in prayer, but much more than that, much more than being someone who facilitates prayer spaces and leads others in prayer and writes about prayer, she herself is a prayer and an intercessor and would often describe herself as a prayer missionary. And so I think that so much of the, the riches and the depth that she shares with us in this episode really just come from the overflow of her own life. And so I hope that you find it as helpful as I did. And so without any further ado, here's Jill Weber with Intercessory Prayer. Um, I'm just a, a disciple of Jesus falling around behind him going, what are we doing now? <laughs> and, uh, and I've just been on a journey, um, over the last, well, we're all on a journey of a lifetime, aren't we? That, uh, just on a journey to like the disciple. I, I think the thing I love about the disciples is, you know, there's all of this activity around Jesus, you know, they're seeing the dead raised, uh, they're seeing people walking on water. They're seeing loaves and fishes and multiplication of food. And it's interesting because the disciples don't say, oh, can we have like a, a raising the dead 101 class? Right. They don't say that, don't they? They're like, OK, Jesus, can you just show me how to how to make lunch, you know, out of nowhere so that I don't have to cook anymore? You know, that's not what they ask. The thing that they ask Jesus is so Jesus teach us how to pray. Because they understood that the epicenter of it all and and the the fountain of it all, of all of this um, divine activity, all of this transformational activity is Jesus' prayer life. And um, and then Jesus goes on to, you know, teach them the Lord's Prayer, which probably you've already heard a million teachings on. So I was I was trying to figure out what I want to share about um, intercession today. And really, you know, the topic is... So lots of books written about it and um, lots and lots of things that we could think about with regards to intercessory prayer. And, and we could, so I'm just going to give you a little snapshot. I was praying about like, what, what kind of little, what little bit should I bring today? And, and then we'll open it up for some Q and A and you can, you don't necessarily have to ask me about 
this particular teaching, although you can, but just any questions you would have about intercessory prayer. And I may or may not have something helpful to say, but we'll we'll see what happens. So um yeah, I just so you know, I I'm leading a house of prayer at Waverly Abbey um and have um been leading and planting and leading houses of prayer since 2001 um which doesn't mean i'm a prayer professional it just means i've figured out lots of things that don't work and um and just just trying to continue to grow and to learn but what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at nehemiah so if you've got your bibles maybe you can get them out and turn to nehemiah chapter one verses one to four and I just thought it would be useful for us to just look at a snapshot of one person's prayer life, his intercessory life, to see what we can learn from it To that would help, um, yeah, just give us some tools for the trade. So if we've got it open, and maybe, Matthew, could you do some reading for me? Would that be okay? Great. So we're going to read a bit. I'm going to chat a bit. We're going to read a little bit more and chat a little bit more. We might stop and pray and try something. Um, But let's start by Matthew. Can you just read Nehemiah 1, verses 1 to 4? The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Thanks, Matthew. So I think the thing that we could pull out from this little bit is when when Nehemiah hears the reports from Jerusalem, the first thing he does is he asks questions and he listens to the answers. You know, he takes time to ponder and kind of delve into the situation and get a sense of everything that's going on. So he's not like super reactive in the moment. He's he's curious and he has, he's got this inquiring heart and spirit. And I think when... Um, I think when we're stepping into praying for other people or praying for situations, I think that would serve us well, is to listen and ask questions to try and get a sense of of what's the larger issue and what might be causing them. Does that make sense, everybody? So we start by listening. And actually, intercession is a lot about listening, Uh, listening to people and listening to God. But he starts with that. He asks questions and he listens to the answers. And then the second thing he does is he actually takes it on. He mourns, he weeps, he fasts, he engages his heart in the suffering. And I think there's, there's, I've found in the church, there's, there's, there's a broad spectrum of people. Some people are like feelers. Anybody a feeler in the room? Put your hand up if you kind of feel stuff, right? Some of you are feelers and some of you are thinkers, right? Any thinkers in the room? You put your hands up if you're a thinker, right? And so it's funny, actually. I've got one guy on our team here at Waverly Abbey, and he's a thinker. And uh, um, and he's like, oh, no, I don't hear from God because I'm always sort of just thinking. And I'm like, why is why is that not hearing from God? Just pay attention to your thoughts. <laughs> because if you're a thinker, God's going to talk to you through your thoughts. If you're a feeler, God's going to talk to you through your, your feeling and what you're apprehending. So obviously in this moment, Nehemiah, he's, he's a feeler. He's feeling it. He engages his heart in the suffering. So he's willing to go there to actually let the burden of it all 
land on him. And, and I, you know, when I'm listening to your stories about where you're situated and what you're doing, I think the thing I love about people who are on the front lines of ministry is, is you pray differently when you're on the front lines, right? Um, it's not this sort of abstract, oh yeah, there's this thing out here that we have to pray about. Like I, our, our house of prayer back in Canada was an urban mission base. And so we uh, had a prayer room in the basement of a social enterprise cafe in the red light district. And I found that while I was living there, the way I prayed for um, sex workers changed completely differently. You know, in one sense, before that, in my comfy little middle class area, all safe and sound, you know, I would pray about sex trade and 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 all of that. But when I'm actually in a cafe building relationships with people in the neighborhood and one of the girls I know and love comes to the cafe with like, you know, um, you could tell that she was like bruises all over her throat. All of a sudden I'm praying for sex trafficking and, and the sex trade in a completely different way. Right. And I'm allowing the reality of it to enter in to pierce my heart, entering into the suffering with others. Um, and so so I think for me that the the invitation to intercession, to stand between God and man, to ask Jesus to come and intervene and to bring heaven to earth, because that's what we do in intercession. We are agreeing with God to bring heaven to earth. Um, you know, it it means that I need to not shrink back from entering into the suffering of the world. When Jesus interceded for us, he stepped into the suffering of the world. And so that's what we see Nehemiah doing here. He mourns, he fasts, he sets aside time. And and um, and I think we're so quick in our culture, people like, oh, can you pray for me? And you're like, yeah, sure. You know, and then how many of us actually do? You know, and and so I think that setting aside time and place to really enter into the issues and to really enter into intercession and to allow it to touch our heart is a way that we can grow in intercession. So um and, and I guess the question for us then is how willing am I to sacrificially lay aside my schedule and to labor in prayer and to battle on behalf of others? Matthew, can I get you to continue to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5, and the first part of verse 6. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I think this is the thing I love about Nehemiah's prayers, and the thing that probably one of the things I have found most useful in intercessory prayer is um, before Nehemiah talks to God about the problem, he talks to the problem about God. So he doesn't start with the problem. He starts with the nature of God. Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, right? He is he is magnifying God in that moment. And I think for us, that is, for me, I found that so, so vital. I once uh, heard a, a friend of mine who was a pastor. He was a, he was, um, yeah, he was this funny little guy. And, and, and I remember him preaching one day 
and he was jumping around the front of the platform and he said, you know what? You could, you can magnify the problem. And he made his little binoculars. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> magnify the problem. And he says, and when you magnify something, what happens? It gets bigger, right? If you magnify the problem, it gets bigger. So, so he's like, so you can magnify the problem. He says, or you can magnify the Lord. And if you magnify the Lord, what happens? He gets bigger. And I think oftentimes, particularly when we are in situations when we're surrounded by need, um, yeah, our, our context back in Canada, there was, you know, just overwhelming need and um, broken people, broken community, intractable poverty. Um, yeah, just, just so, so much. And if I went around um, and just focused on the need and the problems, I would have burned out. I would have gotten discouraged. And I see, I see a lot of people who really want to enter into intercessory prayer and they just get overwhelmed by it and they get overwhelmed and burdened by you know, everything that's out there that, that needs transformation. And, and so this key to, to magnify God before you magnify the problem is really essential um, because we, we really need to have our heart. I'm a big believer in developing a, a biblical heart language of prayer. And, and, and for me, that means that I need the knowledge of God. Like if I want to see transformation in my community, I need to know who God is. Um, let's just go on a little bit more. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. So he's talking to God right now. We acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. So I think this is interesting because Nehemiah's prayer, in one sense, it seems a bit peculiar. He's confessing his own sin, but then the sin of his family and the sin of generations who've gone before him. And then first of all, you're like, well, wait a second, like, aren't we all just responsible for ourselves? Um, and that, that might seem particular peculiar when viewed through like a Western individualistic mindset. But other cultures, probably many cultures in this room that are shaped more around community, this time, this part of, I, I we call it identificational repentance, it makes sense. I am part of you. You are part of me. Your pain is my pain. Your sin is my sin. We're we're in it together. So so Nehemiah came out of um, you know a Middle Eastern collectivist culture, and where where it isn't just me myself. He understood that he was part of a larger story and a larger people. And uh, we just did a a prayer exercise at Waverly Abbey. A little while back, we did this, this identificational repentance because we're praying for the establishment of the house of prayer here. It's on an ancient monastic site, but also there's this big Edwardian mansion on the site. And the guy who bought the house and built it at first in uh, in the 1700s was a bit of a shyster. Like he was a, he was not a good guy and didn't manage money very well. And um, yeah, and so so we were looking back in the history of the ruins and the history of the house and saying, okay, God, show us the historic sin so that we can repent for it. And we kind of did an analysis of what we knew from history and stuff that the Lord had showed us. And we realized that the, the historic sins are actually stuff that most of us struggle with anyways. Like humans are humans, you know, in any generation, people are people. And um, 
And so there's there's not a lot different. And so we realized that we could, as we looked in the history of where people had sinned in that organization, we um, uh, we now we're like, oh yeah, well, yeah, probably we do that too. But we're just sneakier about it, you know, <laughs> and not out and out. So that kind of, when you're doing intercession, um, don't be afraid to have a collectivist mindset to say, okay, I'm just going to own it. Like, it's not like you out there. It's like we, <laughs> you know, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm just going to stand and I'm going to repent on behalf of me and and those before me who are just as much a sinner as I am. So, um, and, and Nehemiah is also clear that when he sins against others, he's also sinning against God. And that that is interesting too. Um, that sin is a vertical issue as well as a horizontal issue. And that's how Nehemiah sees it. And that's how he approaches it through prayer. I think the thing about intercession that's so important is that um, we are participating in God's work on the earth. We are not approaching God with our list to engineer our life circumstances the way we want it. That's an important delineation, isn't it? God is at work on the earth and we get to work with him. We get to partner with God through intercession. I've once heard from um, just a, an old teacher. He said it's like this. There's this check in the heaven in the heavens with like, but it's a two signature check. So God's God's put his signature on the check and he's waiting for us to write our signature on the check as well so that we could cash it in. And um, and it, it is so much like God. Jesus is on a mission to make all things new. Jesus is on a mission to redeem the earth unto himself. And so this is the invitation that we have is to join him with it. He doesn't want to do it by himself. He wants to do it with us. He has created us to co-create, to make everything new with him. Um, you know, he talks about your ambassadors. We have this ministry of reconciliation. I mean, it's all the way through the scriptures. And um, and this is the joy of it. And um but intercession isn't easy. Sorry, I'm just going off my notes. But but intercession is not easy. Intercession can be painful. And you know what? Jesus' intercession on the earth was not easy, right? You know, Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying so hard, like blood was coming out of his skin. And and that ultimate act of intercession, you know, take, going to the cross, right? He demonstrated cruciform love and 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 um stood in the gap for us and so if, if we're going to intercede for others there are going to be moments where it's going to cost us and if we're really following jesus seeing as we're followers <laughs> you know jesus doesn't say pick up your comfy chair and follow me daily right that's not how i read that translation not even in the passion translation i'm sure it doesn't say that you know <laughs> says pick up your cross and follow me. So anyway, intercession is the pathway to cruciform love. That's how we become more like Jesus. Anyway, let's see. Mm, looking through my notes. Uh, okay, I'll do this one. Um, can you read uh, Matthew, Nehemiah 1, verse 8 to 11? Uh, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in re revering your name. 
Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So what Nehemiah is doing here in this part, so we're still praying with him, right? This is still his prayer. So he's, he is reminding God of God's promises, right? God, you said, <laughs> you said if we return to you and obey your commands, you know, you'll gather us back. That's what you said, God, and I am holding you to it. So he is cheeky here. Like he is, he's like, okay, God, you said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to hold you to it, right? You promised. It's like a little kid going, dad, you promised. <laughs> And that's what Nehemiah is doing, holding God to his promises. And um, and so I think an important key for intercession as well is, is understanding what God's promises for us are, understanding what the scripture says about what his promises to, you know, humankind are, promises to his church. When we, when we write the Lectio 365 app, we always have at the end of it each day a promise from scripture in it. And I think that... Um, and I, I love the passage that says all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus, right? And so we can lean on him. Now, you know, it doesn't mean that things are going to happen the way we want, when we want, in the time frame that we want. But um, but if God has spoken to us through the scriptures or if God has spoken to you prophetically in your situation, just hold him to his promises. Just kind of wave him in his face, <laughs> You know, I think we could be bold in prayer because we're coming um, not as slaves. We are coming as children before a father who loves us. We are coming as the bride before her bridegroom. Sorry, gentlemen. But, uh, you know, if, if I have to be a son of God, you can be the bride of Christ. So we'll just all identify how we wish in that scenario there. <laughs> and uh, but there's this there's this intimacy that we have and this authority that's been given us and a permission. God has already extended the scepter towards us. Right. Jesus says, ask anything in my name. And, and so, so it's having that confidence of knowing that he's a God of, who does promise and then who keeps his promises. And, uh, and so as you're thinking about whatever it is you're aiming your intercession on, like whatever is sort of first and foremost in your heart, what would it look like for you to search the scriptures and to find out what God's promises are pertaining to that kind of situation? Does that make sense? There's so many promises in the Bible, right? Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you, all right? We could take that one to the bank. Jesus is never going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us, right? But though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and he will direct your path. Okay, well, I'll just trust you, and then you'll direct. Like, you promised that in the scripture. So I'm going to take that promise to the bank, to the bank. And so as you're entering into intercessory prayer, what promises of God feel particularly relevant relevant or alive to me today and which ones am i hanging on to for dear life my daughter um was was diagnosed uh with a pretty dire illness when she was 14 and i remember sitting in the prayer room praying in tongues crying just totally devastated and and the holy spirit said to me there um he said uh i'm using her illness to position her for my purposes and that was 15 years ago, 16 years ago. I have never forgotten that moment. And I continue to pray that over her life. So that moment where God made a promise to me that he was going to use her illness to position her. And I haven't seen the fulfillment of that all the way yet. I've seen it impartial, but I haven't seen the full um, fruit of that promise. But, but he said, and I believe him. And I'm just going to keep praying it till I see it come into fullness. 
So, um, looking at the time, uh, great. I'm going to pray for you. I got one minute left. So, Holy Spirit, I just thank you for all the men and women in this room. I bless the pioneers. I bless the forerunners. Bless the ones who are making sacred spaces, who are establishing colonies of heaven. God, I thank you for the way you're manifesting your goodness and your life and your love on the earth through these men and women. So Lord, I just join my voice with their hearts and kind of lift it before you and say, God, in this next season, would you teach us all how to pray? Jesus, you who make intercession before the Father. Jesus, you who are prayer. Would you make us prayer? Would you pray in us? Would you pray through us? Would you help us to step into the mystery? Would you release a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God so that we could get to know you better? Jesus, teach us to pray. Amen. Well, that's all for this episode from the Follow Up Podcast. If you enjoyed that, please like, subscribe, share, uh, leave a review. All this helps us uh, get the podcast in people's ears. If you'd like to support us financially and help us get this podcast out into the rest of the world, you can do that at uh, www.wearefollower.com. Here's an excerpt from next week's episode that you can look forward to. Thanks again for listening. See, the truth about formation is we don't have a choice in our formation. We are being formed. The question is, what are you being formed by? And we are currently immersed and drowning in a world of powerful formation devices, strategies, techniques uh, to literally turn us into the perfect product consumer people. That's what we're being made for.